and welcome to the Codex Cantina, where I am Una. And I am the King of Hearts Crypto. Ah! Today, we are covering the Queen of Spades, argued to be one of Russia's, if not Russia's, greatest short story of all time. Let's dig into it. Pushkin here is one of Crypto's favorites, so if he doesn't knock it out of the park tonight, we're going to blame him. I will do my best. As always, we start off with publication information. The Queen of Spades was written in the autumn of 1833 and later published in March of 1834, and it was translated by Robert and Elizabeth Chandler and Olga Merson. Now, Alexander Pushkin, not a writer alive today, who can't claim some influence on some level from Pushkin. That is just how important he was on Russian writers. Yeah, so at this time, uh, writing is more poetic. Lots of poems are being written at this time, and he's introducing more prose into Russian-style literature. Romanticism, realism. There's something about how Pushkin is able to kind of flirt between these lines that I think just really resonated with a lot of the people at the time. And he was also just extremely clean, extremely articulate, and extremely entertaining. There's not a lot to dislike about Pushkin. You know, when people see those big Russian books, it's just like, you know that they're actually really clean and articulate, and a lot of that comes from Pushkin's influence on the Russian consciousness at the time. Yeah, his writing is just so tight and precise. It just You're able to go through this journey with him so easily. It's incredible that people feel that these are daunting when it just it flows and it just brings you through this journey. So we're going to be talking about greed, supernatural influence on things, and maybe a little bit of tragic fallen choices today. Some would argue that this is the best story ever written. I would argue that this is the best story ever written about the sin of greed. Mm, better than Christmas Carol? So much better than Christmas Carol. We can talk about the negativity. We can talk about how greed corrupts. We can talk about the greedy person itself. All in this story, much shorter than A Christmas Carol. Okay, okay, let's let's get into this. I have a, way too much written here about plot, so on the fly I'm going to try and edit this down. <laughs> we start the actual story with an all-night card game played with winners and losers, and Tomsky, still re Tomsky soon regales them with the story of his grandma who lost big and kind of had to call in the ringer to get the secret to this three-card trick that, that would always let her win and then, you know, kind of rose to riches from there, right? And she would never give the secret away, refusing to tell anybody, even her own children. So let me reorganize this a little bit because the, the, the plot jumps around in time a little bit. Basically, Lizaveta Ivanovna performs embroidery at the window and spots a man standing outside staring at her. And we learn that the man is her mane. Later, the elderly countess, Anna Fedotovna, is getting ready with her ward, Lizaveta, and Tomsky and Paul are in the room. Paul wants to introduce Elizaveta to her friend Narumov. And then as they leave, Hermaine attempts to get her attention and slips her a love letter. And Elizaveta ain't having none of that. Sends the letter back, says, you need to do this properly, right? Oh, old ship courting. I love it. <laughs> so that Friday, Hermaine sneaks into her house per her instructions once she breaks down to his courting. At a crossroads where he can either go left, down the stairs, into her room or right into an empty study and wait for the countess to, to come home. Where does he go? To the right. <laughs> to the right. <laughs> He's, he is after that three-card trick. He needs it, right? And, you know, you got to remember that Hermaine in the beginning started off just very prudent. I'm not going to gamble away something like that. I'm just going to do, you know, the, the simple... He's going to play it safe. 
And all of a sudden, he's breaking into people's house. He's falsely courting women, you know, even proclaiming that he would marry <laughs> the countess if he could just get that darn secret. We're seeing this man turn into a into Ebenezer Scrooge almost, right? I wonder why he's doing all of this. <laughs> mm -mm -mm. So he sneaks into the countess's room, demands that she tell him the secret, and when she won't, he pulls a gun, and she dies. <laughs> he sneaks out later with uh, Lizaveta's help getting out in the morning. And three days later, he comes to the funeral, right? He's, he's, he's feeling grief. He's got to see what's going on. But basically, he sees the dead body wink at him. <laughs> Kind of a normal thing to happen, right? So later that night, Herm Hermaine's drinking too much wine, falls asleep, and he, he's woken up or has a vision, kind of questionable. We have a little bit of question here as to exactly how this happened, but the ghost of, of the Countess comes in and says, hey, I didn't want to have to do this, but I got to tell you my secret. I'm being forced to tell you my secret. And she tells him the three-card trick to always win. In exchange, he must never gamble again after, after he uses it. And he's got he's to marry Lizaveta. So what is the trick you say? It is three, seven, and the ace. So soon a famed Moscow card player comes into town, and Hermain and Narumov go to play cards and to win, right? First hand down, nails it, lots of money, you know, gets his debt back. Second hand comes around with the seven, nails it, oh, pulls in all that money, oh, it's time to rake in that third card. Plays the third card, looking for that ace. Pulls the queen of spades instead, losing everything. He looks at the queen of spades, and what's it do? Winks at him. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little bit of a narration about how Elisabetta and, and uh, Paul kind of go off and get married, live very comfortable, normal lives. And uh, Hermaine goes insane. Hermaine the insane, right? Yeah, that's... Very, very tragic. <laughs> Let's move into analysis and greed. What do you want to talk about with, uh, we got to start with greed, right? So what, what I think happens here is that greed really gets into your soul and it corrupts you. And as a result, what greed has done to this man is that he loses everything. He loses his life. He loses his freedom because he gets locked away. I mean, he loses his sanity. Uh, he loses everything because of greed. You know, an interesting element of greed is you can't have greed without making a choice, right? Like, I can't think of a story where greed's happening where the character didn't make some type of a willful choice to enact that greed. And that's what Pushkin is just a master of, of taking two characters, maybe representing two ideas or two themes or two opposite poles, and he just very cleanly writes a, a scenario of them and then pits those two ideas against each other, right? And we have Hermaine going through several different scenes where he's got the choice to go down to the basement or to go to the study. That's not really a choice of which way do he go. What he's really doing, what Pushkin's really creating with that scene, am I choosing to follow through with decent human you know, promises of what I've promised to come see Lizaveta, or am I going to go for the money and, and break promises in a sense to kind of break my my oath to humanity i think what he's done here is created almost like a choose your own adventure that mm. you don't get to choose because greed has done it for you that's mm. the choice that you've made it 
That's what's corrupted you. And he almost gives you this false narrative that that Hermaine is going to have these choices, but they're already made for him. I wonder, though, how much Pushkin's playing with that, because you have all of these elements of just surrealism and just like, well, romanticism and realism just being pitted against each other, too. Right. In terms of choices, you had the countess who made a choice never to share her secret, not even to her her blood relatives. She wanted to go to the grave. She did go to the grave, in a sense, with it. And whether she came back, you know, in terms of the surreal moment, is, you know, it's another thing. But it's the idea of mixing together all of these surreal and realistic elements. And then the choices are what defines the characters in these, not the surreal elements. Yeah, so it's almost like, is he trying to bring out the idea that this is all predetermined and that you don't get a choice in it? Well, you have the Countess, when she does finally reveal her secret, I have come to you against my will, but I have been ordered to grant your request. Uh, ordered? Ordered by who? <laughs> it's never It's never answered, but we do have other fate conversations in this piece. When... I think there's at one point when he's entering the house, we have that quote on Hermaine where he says, a mysterious force drawing him towards it. So fate is definitely an element in the story, and fate would be the opposite of choice, right? Again, Pushkin putting two ideas against each other. So what I think that he's done here, whether we have a choice or not, is he's leading the reader to see, is there an actual choice, right? Well, do we believe that... There's one, do we believe the Countess Ghost actually came and saw Hermaine, right? And then there's two, do we actually believe that the trick actually exists either? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, and you really can't answer it, right? I mean, I, I couldn't kind of figure it out. Like, well, the story works without it because he could be imagining these things, and if they are real, the story still works, and he never really had a choice. One of my favorite interpretations for this, and again, this is this is a subjective interpretation. You don't have to take it this way. But I like to think that the ghost, as well as the idea of the trick, you mentioned earlier, greed corrupts. I think this is Hermaine's greed manifesting itself in his life. He's hallucinating the Countess because he wants to believe that the trick is real. He wants to believe there's a get-rich-quick option but remember, when he started this story out, he was the man of prudence. We have this quote from him, but I cannot afford to sacrifice the essential in the hope of acquiring the superfluous. And what transformed him into this man that's lying to women, that's sneaking into homes, it's what you said earlier, it was greed corrupts. I think a lot of authors have learned from what Pushkin has done here is that we blame fate a lot of times for the misgivings that happen in our life. And then we praise our own choices when things go positive, mm. right? And then that goes back to the duality that, that Pushkin likes to do. Very well played there, Mr. Crypto. So I guess that leads me to the question, who wins in this story? I mean, the old lady is dead. And Hermaine is well. Is she or is she crazy. living on as this Queen of Spades card? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. I like that uh, to torment more people to go crazy. <laughs> uh, I I I don't think there are any winners, and I think that's what I think he's trying to say is that greed doesn't only corrupt the individual, but the family unit as well, and that it has long-reaching arms and that this is something that needs to be addressed. Otherwise, it can influence multiple people as it seeps in and does its damage. 
I, I agree with what you said, but I would also argue that maybe the opposite of green in the story are Lizaveta and Paul, right? They were the ones that were trying to help others, that were looking out for other people at the dance. They were the two that actually ended up being happy because they were anti-green. They settled. They settled hard, to quote Disney. And you had uh, the quote, Lizaveta Ivanovna was a domestic martyr, right? And she was the one that went on to marry. And I think Paul, did Paul marry a princess? It was something ridiculous. But they left very comfortable lives as opposed to the guy that was corrupted by greed who went to the insane in time. Hermione the insane, right? Yeah. Well, I think this is where you get a little bit into the religious element that he's saying. If you live more of kind of uh, a religious or pious life, you're more apt to make better choices and thus have the happily ever after ending. All right. So we have to mention that some of these characters are based on real people. You had St. Hermain was a mysterious adventurer, said to be gifted with extra preceptory powers. You had uh, Hermain was a Russian military officer and engineer. Uh, you had Anna Fedotovna was based on Princess Natalia Petrovna. To me, this is Pushkin inserting these, sur- these, these real people in with the fictional elements. Again, in terms of the duality of Pushkin, this is surrealism and realism meeting much like he was playing throughout this whole story with even characters. Yeah, and I love how he does it because it just it makes me kind of guess myself too, but I feel like I've got to learn a lesson from him. Like he taught me something that maybe I already knew, but I was able to see better through his vision. And in terms of authors that like to play with numbers, did you notice his number play in this? What numbers did he use? What did I miss? So, oh, three, obviously, because three, the, the th- three, three, seven, and ace, right? So, yeah. three, did you know three, how many seven, times? One. This is only like a 20 page story. Do you know how many times it was used? Probably like 30 times. 35 times. We had constant allusions to three maids, three events happening. Within three minutes, the countess was ringing her bell. The number seven was used 14 times. He died seven years ago. You had the time, such as the midnight, the noon, used in numbers like 87, 47. So to me, the idea was he was kind of just creating this, these these realistic and also just imaginary numbers just being injected and almost playing with the script too. It was It was fun to me. It was very entertaining. And I think you can have fun and still take yourself seriously, but also still poke, 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 poke at yourself a little bit. And I got the sense that's what Pushkin was doing a little bit. Yeah, and as we said so many times with his story is that he puts all of those things in there and I missed a lot of it, but I was still able to I think, feel what he was trying to do with those because he's such a fantastic writer. Well, he had such subtle things, like even the usage of the word eyes, right? Eyes was used probably 14, 15 times throughout this, but you had uh, f- eyes even being tied in with fate. I think we had some quotes here where he's, the head looked up, Hermaine saw a fresh young face and black eyes. This moment decided his fate. So again, eyes being tied in with fate at this point in the story, right? And what happens next in terms of this, is this is this coincidence, is this surrealism? He suddenly sees a dead body winking at him with her eyes. And we have the quote, an extraordinary change came over the dead face. Her lips stopped twitching. Her eyes came to life. And that's when he sees wink at him right both as a dead body and then later on as the card Ooh, i got goosebumps i got goosebumps from reading it but when you just read it to me i got goosebumps again because it's just like you could see that and you'd be like oh like you would freak out <laughs> i would freak out it's, it's just a fun story <laughs> and, and to yeah. me and it, i think i'm sane and i would freak out <laughs> and to me the the wink and the usage of eyes here 
in the same way that Fedotovna could not escape death, I think we're saying that that Hermane here can't escape his fate, right? Tying together those elements there again. I, I think just Pushkin masterclass lessons in duality and exploring themes and weaving them very subtly throughout this piece. Like the, the usage of three, the usage of eyes being dropped 15 times in a short story never felt difficult or draining. It was very subtle um, the way it came off to me. Yeah, which is unique because sometimes we've seen a word that was used a couple of times in an entire novel. And we're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they used that word twice. That was absolutely ridiculous. Right, right. Yeah, so... And I think one one last thing is like on the supernatural aspect of it, I want to say that I don't think there was anything supernatural. I think you're maybe led to believe that. But I know that when I was at a funeral one time, I could have swore I saw the guy breathe. It was an open casket. Mm. And I, 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 I kind of freaked out a little bit. And I, I looked at my father-in-law and I was like, oh, and he's like, that's natural. Your eyes are playing tricks on you. Yeah. It's something you want to see because you don't want to see, you know, a, a dead body, especially if somebody you maybe care about or something that's important to you. And him knowing that secret is important. And he maybe manifested and wanted that mm -hmm. so bad that he saw it, you know, in his imagination. Yeah. Well, this is one of those things that just, it's a truth. And I think when stories come from true moments, the, the more they will resonate with us as readers. So typically considered one of Russia's greatest short stories. Are you surprised to hear that at all? No, not at all. I think that this is easily could be considered top Russian story ever, a definitely top greed story ever. Uh, and I would probably rank it in the top 10 for me. Oh, wow. Oh, your boy Pushkin does it again. Is your top 10 just all Pushkin short stories? Uh, and O'Connor and Gogol. <laughs> <laughs> They're the only three in there. Guys, if you're enjoying the conversation today, please make sure you hit that subscribe button. Leave a comment down below to help us out. If you're not sure what to leave for a comment, just put like a little ghost emoji or something like that to help us out. We got a Pushkin playlist. Dollar bill emoji we got a pushkin playlist down below feel free to check that out crypto what's going to be your ratings on this one 9.5 oh easy didn't, yeah didn't, didn't make it to 10 though no i i like to reserve the 10 for those few special ones there's only been a couple okay. a 9.5 is uh, top 10 greatest stories ever i don't give those out very often okay. uh, you know nine is usually where i go if you're getting 9.5 or a 10 then you're really something special to me i don't just hand those out willy-nilly it's my choice yeah. of what number i give it una uh, no I, I i get it <laughs> i'm greedy with my tens <laughs> this is what are you giving it this is a very fun story i can see why this is enjoyed by so many different people it's got a lot of truth in it and honestly, just had a lot of fun of playing with fate, eyes, tying eyes with fate, putting in those magical, mystical numbers, and then having these these ghostly apparitions appearing. And then it's just like, wait, that could have just been in that man's head, and we could have just imagined that whole thing, and it could have just been like a manifestation of his greed. Ugh, 9.5, easily, easily. Yeah. Well, all right. So we're going to give it a 19. Oh! <gasps> Well, we just 19 to this video. Well, all right, guys. I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. We had a great time. If you are looking for more literature discussions like this in the future with Pushkin and other literature greats, join us as we're doing a whole month of the greatest short stories of all time. Hit that subscribe button to join us on it. Una out. Peace.